look out into the world of self-defense coaches and instructors, and you will see that the majority of them are men. There are some absolutely fabulous male coaches and instructors, and I have had the pleasure of working with several of them. But in my own journey as a coach, I have hungered for other women to talk to, women who also are on the path of changing the statistics of violence against women by empowering women to take their personal safety into their own hands. And this podcast has been an incredible vehicle. It has been a great gift in that it allows me to connect with women that I otherwise would not have met. Today's guest is one of those women, Renee Rose, and she and I had an absolutely incredible conversation. I had a ton of fun recording it, and I hope that you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed having the conversation. There is so much to learn, and there's quite a bit of thought-provoking conversation, as well as a lot of humor. So fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the show that tackles the subject of women and violence head-on and shines the light on what women need to know and do to be safe. Here's your host, fourth-degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Gillicourt-Rude. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolicoeur-Rude, and today I am so excited to bring on the show a woman that I really only connected with recently as a referral from a friend, and I am so damn glad that I reached out to her and we were able to talk because we really hit it off, and boy, do I love what she is up to in the world. Renee Rose is general partner in Shansar LLC and the founding partner in Shansar Krav Maga. Although it was originally started as a nonprofit, Shansar Krav Maga began its mission teaching in major cities throughout the U.S. where violent crime was directed towards at-risk populations and where that crime has been very high. As the daughter of a retired naval officer, Renee began practicing practical survival, homesteading, and weapons training as a young girl. Six years ago, she progressed her training into scenario-based Krav Maga, and as the owner and instructor and the survivor of violent crime, she is an outspoken advocate for ending gender violence and teaching scenario-based survival skills and self-defense for teen girls, women, and the LGBTQ community. Shansar LLC has been awarded both local and national awards for their work with educating at-risk populations. And within the first two years of their operations, they gained national and international media attention for their platform on ending gender violence. This year, they have partnered with celebrity clients to progress the mission. And currently, during the global pandemic, Renee Rose, her partner and owner, Gabrielle Mora, and Shansar LLC are partnering with ground operations disaster relief groups to prepare for recovery efforts given towards women and the LGBTQ community. So you can see that she is up to some absolutely amazing work, and I am so thrilled to have her on the show. Welcome to the show, Renee. 
Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I am so excited to have you on the show because after that first sort of getting to know you conversation that we had, I just resonated so much with what you were all about. And I was absolutely blown away by the sort of U.S. tour that you and your partner did to go all around these major cities in the U.S. where where violent crime towards at-risk populations was really high and to do workshops there for free and basically bear the cost yourself. So I really would like to hear more about that as we get into the show. But first, I want to ask you a couple of quick and easy questions to get us rolling. So do you have like a favorite song or a theme song? Ooh, a favorite song or a theme song? Uh, I do as of late. Yes, I do. And it's a, it's a fantastic song. And I listen to this I listen to it with such great regularity lately. It's called Silence and it's by Marshmallow. And it's a great song to train to. I like training really early in the morning before the sun is up. And so just cranking this up is a, it's fantastic. My favorite songs will rotate, but that's, that's the current. What is it about that song that really is appealing to you right now? Oh, interesting. So, I'm, I'm very, I'm moved by lyrics, interestingly enough. So whenever I hear a song, for as long as I can remember, I, I key in on what is being said. And, and I, do, I, I do love poetry. And so that's another one of those things. And just the, the words are moving. You know, I want to kind of get into the, I can, I can give you just a few of those. I hate to even turn, turn the music on now because of the feedback and how you you know, what, what you're able to hear just on the podcast, but he, he, he opens up and saying that I would rather be a lover than a fighter because all my life I've been fighting. And it's just, there, there's so much, there's so much that's relatable to the life that I've lived to talking about, to, to where it, I feel like so much of it embodies Krav Maga. And it's, it's just really a snippet of the song of, I found peace in your violence. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about the business of brutality and what I do and how I'm asked so frequently, almost always by men, why do you do something so violent? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we all learn from different people or we, we've, resonate with different people and you and I in our initial conversation that we'd spoke about I was so happy to find other women doing this because there aren't a lot of us and the way a lot of men approach it is a way that is not heard or felt or resonates with women and that there was a group of women who are out there doing scenario-based self-defense and survival and really that's what we talked about is it's it's not just reality based right but doing this is sat with me the song sits with me it's so much even with what we're going through right now in the world it's you, you need to listen to it it's beautiful i tell you what i will add a link to that in the show notes so that everybody can listen to it very nice so what is your morning routine <laughs> i wake up in the morning very first thing right out of the gate i drink water <laughs> I drink water. I, you know, wash my face, brush my teeth, go downstairs. I make coffee. I like black coffee. 
I, I use a, I use a French press. I'm a creature of habit. I sit down at my laptop. I answer some emails and I train, um, you know, train for anywhere from depending on what we're doing. We've been, we've migrated all of our members to an online, uh, an online course and an online private community. So three days a week, it's a training with them online. So Gabriel, of course, leads the course. And so it's anything from Kramaga striking to, you know, weight training, uh, which we know that that's, that's just my own thing. But we train for anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. And then again, it's back to going inside, train fasted and going inside, grabbing breakfast, just going through the calendars and getting things prepared now for the kids, which I have one homeschooler dedicated homeschooler and the other one was sort of forced into distance education by the current state of affairs but making sure that we all have a schedule and everything just moves with some degree of regularity and what time do you actually start your day <laughs> i like 5 a.m so if i'm not uh my body just immediately pops up at that hour although truth be told i have had a couple of days as of late, where I try to stay in bed at least until about six o'clock. Well, I admire that. I, that's always been like a dream <laughs> of mine to be an early morning riser who could, you know, hop out of bed and get my workouts and things done first thing. And I've had to face the fact, I guess it took 50 something years to realize this, but I really am not a morning person. I am a late in the day person. So I really admire people who can just be, you know, up with the dawn and engaged right away. Well, same. I want to be that person that's productive later <laughs> in the day and in the evening. <laughs> you know, uh, my partner will look over at me. It's like we have if we have some time to to watch a movie and spend any kind of time together. It's like, are you asleep, really? <laughs> Help it. <laughs> yeah, you can't really do both ends of the day. No, no, no. I'm I'm not that person. So, what's your favorite self care practice? Meditating. I do transcendental meditation. I do that twice a day for 20 minutes a day. And it's, it's fantastic for keeping me grounded and productive and refreshed. And especially if I have long days where I need to be up later in the evening for a variety of reasons, but it's something that I've looked to for, oh, I think it's been five, three, how long? Five years? Four or five years now. But it's a, it's a form of silent uh, mantra meditation versus a guided or mindful meditation, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And I I guess what is coming to mind for me is that given that you spend so much time in the world of violence, focusing on the world of violence and horrible things happening to people being able to take that time during the day out like that must be incredibly rejuvenating and, and a good way to kind of shed the after effects. Because I don't know about you, but I imagine you may be like me when I spend a lot of time sort of in, in the dark side, I really need something to help me let go of it. Sure. I, I, and you know, and that's, that's another interesting conversation that I, that I'd love to have with anybody, but we have a, one of our go-to trauma therapists for helping develop our courses, specifically our women's, women's only courses 
and I have talked a lot about secondary post-traumatic stress disorder and what it's like to hear. I'm not a therapist by any stretch of the imagination, but have uh, people on a regular basis, certainly a little bit more when things were in person, but with members, uh, students coming to train with us and hearing about their stories and you know, just because I've been so vocal and out there on social media talking about my own experiences and people who uh, have the people that have found us and share theirs. And it's, it's a lot to sit with you, as you know. Yeah. It's a lot to hear. And when you feel like you've, wow, I've heard everything, it, it rocks you to your core to start learning. You really have it. And it's, there's an ugliness to uh to what we do and it didn't really it didn't really occur to me until we were so absorbed into it that well people will come to us and and be very just very real and vulnerable with what they've experienced and what they've lived through and how to listen to that sometimes three or four different situations a day it's a lot So meditation is very helpful for that. Yeah. But I do, I have had days where I've had to, and you probably have too, where you have to step away and say, I can't, I'm not, I'm not taking any personal calls. (laughs) Uh, um, I need to reconnect to myself and uh, yeah, you do. You have to take, you have to take some time out. Yeah. Yeah, you do. So what advice would you give young women today that you wish you'd had when you were in your twenties? That's an interesting question. Um, I've heard a lot of I've heard a lot of this over the past couple of days, and I don't think I've ever given it any time because the world is so different now. The world is so different, and I do have a daughter who's nine years old. And if I were to if I were to be able to to think about just something that I would tell tell my own daughter is to try to practice a mindfulness in your day-to-day life situational awareness is so important because there are situations that in our in our youth and our search for adventure and fun that we can get involved in unintentionally that there's no turning back from and there's no one that's going to fix it so absolutely pursue things that you love and that you that you're passionate about but at the same time not to be ruled so exclusively by your heart that you lose your 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 wits or your plan your plan for for the future because there's there are a lot of things especially now that are that are happening in our world social media is ever present everything is screenshotted just you know to be very aware of, of your surroundings and what, what happens around you. Not assume that everyone has the best of intentions and to approach life with a certain, a certain caution. That's great advice. I, I really love that. And I, I like in particular the the idea of like absolutely listen to your heart, follow your heart, but don't lose your wits. No, no. I think it's a lot of we see a lot of that. I do certainly. One of our one of our assistant instructors is uh, early early twenties, and she's just this beautiful person, and um, has this 
you know, idea of the world that I, I remember having. Not to say that she's naive in any stretch, because uh, her experiences that have led us, led her to us, are are very real. But you know, I've I've seen so much. I think that I have this uh, a jadedness, and unfortunately, maybe my immediate thought about people is, what is their angle? What are they looking for? Because I've seen so much of it, and I've seen so much ugliness, and so. What I my my level of trusting is certainly not where it was, but I do see it in young people where they are are very frequently ruled by passion or their hearts, and, and I would not want anybody to lose that. But at the same time, I feel like if I could go back and do certain things, I might bring a, another, you know, a, a, a wiser me might say, you think before you're involved with something that's, uh, that's emotionally driven. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking back to when I was in my early twenties and I, I think I'm like what you just described, which is very innocent and unaware of potential dangers in the world and very, very trusting. Like I had no, no knowledge at all of any reasons why I shouldn't be trusting of people. And so, you know, now at 57, looking back, it's like, oh, wow, I have learned some really hard lessons about being <laughs> overly trusting. Yeah. And, and you're right. It is, it is something that comes with experience. And yet it's also something that if you, if you have some advice or you learn a little bit about, you know, people aren't always what they seem. And there are some warning signs that you can pay attention to. You don't have to be paranoid, but just think, you know, just yes, just be aware, and as you said, don't let your heart absolutely overrule your mind. Yeah, no. great advice. Well, I would like to hear a little bit about your early path and history. How how did you get started in the world? What were you up to when you were younger? Well, and I I don't I almost I almost never go into that although. Uh, I think I've been asked more frequently lately. <laughs> so my my education is in biochemistry, and I mean I don't know how far back we want to even go, but I think in the in the very in the intro you did a, the brief introduction. You know, my, my father is a retired naval officer and former federal security, and so as long as I remember, um, you know, having a family with this exceptional work ethic and just people around me who really, you know, had an agenda. And the agenda, the agenda was always for, even if it was a collective greater good for our family, right? Uh, to, to be productive and to have a schedule and to aspire to something that was bigger. And I, I grew up with that. So it's, it's something that's ingrained in me. And being able to know how to do things for yourself, whether it's homesteading, survival, growing plants, uh, growing your own food, hunting, fishing, canning, you know, all of these things, right? That's just, that's just second nature. But of course, you know, my parents wanted, wanted me to go to school to be able to do something that was, as they would say, bigger than they were. And, and that led me to my education in science and biochemistry and genetics and, um, you know, decided not 
to go to medical school. And funny enough, I did not tell my father until I was on a plane or really on <laughs> in the airport on my way to France for a culinary apprenticeship. <laughs> yeah. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. Wow. So uh, we didn't talk for a while after that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, I moved to France. I just you know, picked up everything and moved to France to, to train in cuisine. And in this day and age, I'm actually very, very happy that I did because always, I've always been happy that I, that I made that decision because people will always need to eat. And it was something that I was very passionate about and I'm still passionate about it. And just in, in the, the recovery that we're doing and how we've, we've hooked up with another uh, disaster recovery team, the national organization that we're going to be mobilizing with, uh, Shansar LLC is going to be mobilizing with to just to, to feed people. You know, it's, it's an important skill to have. So, you know, really, even my young life was spent in trying to figure out how to become very good at things and master those and figure out how they would serve other people. Done it all my life. So this is just another, another avenue. Yes, I can, I can really see that theme as being sort of the underlying current under, through your whole life. That's really cool. How did you get interested in the area of gender violence and working with the LGBTQ community? So gender violence, I think that that's a, for me, it's a no brainer. I'm a woman, right? I'm a woman. I've lived through violent crime scenarios. Uh, my very first, which is, is, so it's interesting, right? Where we talk about statistics. I almost never do. And our company never does because it's like, wow, I don't know about you, but I'm so tired of seeing that same stock photo of the same woman in having her purse grabbed or with the black eye or throwing, you know, the elbow. I'm so done. Just, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, we know, we know the statistics, right? Uh, so in spite of everything that I learned at 17 years old, I was in a situation with an ex-boyfriend who, uh, I said, Hey, listen, you know, this is the guy that I'm going to prom with. We weren't even together and ended up being on the other end of a long gun. Oh dear. So, uh, you know, now thankfully, thank God, everything that I had learned up until that point had helped me uh, be able to diffuse the situation and, and get out of this. So, but it's not the first time it's, it's not, you know, that, that, well, that was the first time, but I say that's, that's not, that was unfortunately not the last time that I would, that I would, uh, be in, in a situation like that. Thankfully, that one I, I did leave with with my life, and you know, no bruising. But you know, so because I've experienced things within my lifetime, I and not wanting other women to experience this, or if they did, to know how, like I have, to know what they should do, to know what reporting needs to look like, so that you, you know, so that no one ends up being 
that statistic and saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to report because nobody listens anyway. And, and I have a really, you know, interesting, I think just most recently where uh, I had encountered a situation in a, a medical scenario where I had a, a, a doctor, he's not really a doctor, but, uh, you know, he's an MDE, I, I don't know, energy doctor. A couple of years back, I had an experience there where, you know, reporting, thankfully, looped around to be important a couple of years later. And, and we could point to that and say, you know, I thought reporting wasn't going to be a big deal. And I, nothing happened to him, but at least there were repercussions because at least there's jobs he's not going to get, you know. Mm-hmm. It's important. So, so gender violence, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a no-brainer. That's a, it's, it's one of the things where we as, as women are in a different day and age that we can now, our voices are heard in a different way, right? Yes. Um, than they were 10, 15, 20, 30 plus years ago. And one of the things that I'm really just most inspired by is having a daughter and wanting a different world for her and saying, you know, okay, men love, you have a voice and you can use it. And even if it feels like it's not important because nobody's going to hear it or you feel like nobody's going to hear it, you're laying groundwork for other, other women and you're making it okay for women to speak about it. You're making it okay for them to use these life and survival skills that we have to, to, to stop it. And, and it's important. So that's, that's what's brought me there. You know, in terms, of, in terms of LGBTQ, we have a lot of people who have called or will call and just in, in you know, media will, will call up or, or write and ask, like, you're LGBTQ friendly. It's like, well, so I don't know, that's kind of a loaded question, right? It, it's like, it's, it's the same question we get when people will call up and say, like, oh, you're, you know, you have the one of your logos is the Jewish star. It's like, well, you're, you're Jewish. Friend. Well, no, here's just, this is me, right? It's not that we're, it's just, here's who we are. So it's important because this is the background that I come from. And so it's also important because it's communities that I don't see being served or communities that, that need assistance. And we don't see that mobilization. You'll, you'll know this as well as I do, Cynthia, where Krav Maga for the longest time has been like, it's, it's almost like an all boys club, right? Yes. Um, you, you know, it's a, it's a, but it's a bunch of really big guys who are, uh, or who are guys who are fantastic at what they do. And I dearly love them, but it's preaching to the choir, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you're not, you're, you're not in any real danger, but there are, there are people who need it. And so, like I said, being able to mobilize and being able to take it to communities where it's most needed, because that's how Krav Maga started. Krav Maga was for the resistance against, in World War II, against the Jewish people who couldn't take care of themselves or mobilize as well as. And so I feel like when we talk a lot about our company or Shansar being authentic Krav Maga, it's, that's what it's rooted in. It's rooted in marginalized populations. And we talk a lot about being uh, Central Florida's only authentic. And we're not preaching to the choir. We're reaching into the community, you know, at our own expense, at our cost, uh, you know, with the foundation 
and, and women who are survivors of violent crime or LGBTQ community who have also experienced violent scenarios or assaults and, and doing everything that we can to make sure that it doesn't happen. And if it does, that you know how to handle it. Well, this would be a good time to dive in a little bit into your U.S. tour where you went to all those different cities. Can you can you talk a little bit about what you did and what some of the major lessons were that you came away from that experience with? Sure. So uh, Gabriel and I set up workshops in New Orleans, in Los Angeles, West Hollywood, in uh, Brooklyn, in Manhattan, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, you know, for no cost, no expense. We promoted them uh, at our own expense. We traveled, we took equipment out, and we set up community workshops for scenario-based for survival training, Krav And we promoted those within uh, like a grassroots word of mouth type outlets of what used to be called guerrilla marketing, right? To be able to just reach people and say, we're here, we're in the community centers, we're in dance facilities. This is, you know, talking to our friends, close to your friends in, in those particular cities to help get the word out that we were we were going to be teaching classes and initially some of it was met with okay well not initially but it probably still to this day but it's not as bad but a lot of it was met with you're you're doing what why like why why would you want to or nobody's paying you or what's the catch Mm -hmm. and so this is kind of the world that we live in right where everybody wants to know like well what's your agenda so you know i think in particular, my my partner Gabriel heard a lot of that from you know his Krav Maga guys of like be careful with her. Nobody does this for free. <laughs> it's like so uh, yeah, I get that. But at that point in my life, was really blessed to been fortunate enough to have that extra reserve where I could yeah I could foot the bill for those things. And well, why do you do it? because people are being hurt, because people we know are being attacked. That's why, because you have this level of skill and just, you know, in the conversations with Gabriel, you have this certain, this, this exceptional level of skill. And I get that everybody needs to eat and, you know, people are out there selling classes and their memberships and annual renewals and all those things. But what good is it doing if you're not taking it out to the people that need it, right? Yes. What's the point? Like, well, again, we're just preaching to the choir and you've got these schools with massive memberships, but if you're not reaching into the community, what good is everything that you've learned your whole life? You know, I, I don't see it. And so people would continue to ask, and it's like, what's your agenda? What's your, I'm, I'm not trying to take over Krav Maga. I don't have any kind of weird political agenda. It's genuinely to help people. So it was hard for people to see and, and sometimes hard for even students who was like, well, it's free, really? Yes, absolutely, it's free. And we'll continue to come back as long as we can afford to do so. And we started the foundation and, you know, we're actually locked into, uh, we, with uh, one of our favorite facilities, the Brooklyn Community Pride Center, where we're going to be doing, we're taking those now 
taking those classes online and we'll begin offering those no cost every single week at a distance online as well. So, you know, we've, we've always tried to do the best that we can to do the right thing because, you know, in times of like, in times of war and peace, you know, doing, doing the right thing always, even when it's hard. Yes. So I'm curious what exactly you were teaching in those workshops. What did you cover? Sure. So, um, you know, as you know, uh, scenario-based is very hard to do if it's not something that you're doing on an ongoing basis. So we taught Krav Maga, basic, basic striking, of course, some of the most effective forms of striking for sensitive areas, uh, how to create the most amount of damage, least amount of time. Situational awareness is key here. And being able to talk a lot about what you need to look for, you know, what you need to look for um, if you are being attacked, what are things that you need to do? And then uh, obviously going into the uh, legal framework and talking about reporting, talking about reporting what's on the agenda, creating that mental checklist within somebody's head for once an attack happens, what do you need to be thinking about? And what is your next move? Because a lot of times that's what's going to help you in terms of just preventing further trauma is having your mind, instead of going to that happy place and letting the attack end, having a productive place to go to. And that's really what Krav Maga is about. We talk like a lot about the business of brutality is transforming fear, even transforming fear in that moment of attack and finding a productive place to go to. So obviously striking, obviously those uh, t- hooking up with uh, other people who would be on the ground and helping with weekly classes for no cost as well in marginalized communities or communities in greatest need uh, or doing distance education with us, which has kind of been the one thing that saved our company now is because we've always had that distance option, but also that legal framework and how to, uh, what you need to do to prepare yourself and insulate yourself mentally what you need to do legally. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot. It's not just as, you know, as well as, you know, like I said, with the reporting and why it's important. So, you know, it's not just martial arts. There's not just Krav Maga, but it's a, it's a comprehensive program for worst case scenario and survival. Well, now that is exactly why when you and I first spoke, I was like, yes, this is, this is one of my soulmates because you are one of the people who gets that it's actually a whole puzzle, not just a couple pieces of the puzzle. And it sounds like even in those workshops, you were covering the mindset and how to navigate through fear and what the mental and emotional and psychological preparation are and how to deal with the aftermath as well as physical pieces. So glory, hallelujah. Thank God you're doing that because (laughs) this is really what we need, right? I mean, this is, this is real. This is useful. This is how we do uh, what Tony Blower calls, you know, making good people safer. This This is how you do it. So, wow, that's awesome. I, I love that. I'm, I'm very curious how you work with people to teach them how to navigate through fear. <sighs> yeah. So those are harder parts, right? You know, we do lots of, I call it, can I call it safe work, right? We have always made a point of having a very approachable, approachable facilities 
approachable instructors, even our marketing. I think just to hook back around to that that stock photo, right? Yeah. <laughs> of that's not really helpful to anybody, or like it's so homogenous that it's like it's just not even appealing. It's like you run right past it because I don't want to see it. Nobody wants to be triggered again. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. So really being uh, that just having, having a certain kind of approachability, right? It's what brings people in and survivors in particular, I don't know about your experience, but uh, you know, mine, survivors in particular have a bullshit radar like no one else, right? Yes. And if you're not genuine, I mean, I, I can, oh, I can, I can see it. <laughs> I can see it. And it's one of the things that will turn me off to people very, very quickly. And so being approachable, making our facilities a place that is comfortable, that's, it's, it's really pretty, you know, just, just a place where you can come in and you can relax and it feels like more meditative than, oh, here's the place I'm going to learn how to beat the stuffing out of people or how to do something incredibly violent that's con- that can potentially save my life, right? Mm-hmm. We, we start with, uh, you're, you're like, it's like bringing somebody into the fold. You know, you want to, you want to meet them where they're at. And I hear, I hear so much from, you know, different instructors like, oh, it's just a woman. I don't understand this. I don't understand her. I don't, you know, get away from me. <laughs> it's like, well, you have to meet people where they are. You have to be real and you have to be vulnerable and you have to share because otherwise there's not that level of trust. And if people don't have that level of trust, they can't start moving into healing. And what does healing look like? Well, healing looks like empowering yourself and learning what you can do that's going to help you not sleep with the lights on anymore. That's going to be able to move past any kind of trauma that you might have and fear, real terrifying fear of like, you know, can't get out of, can't get out of bed or can't get out of my house or I can't get on the mat. But to, to, to move past that and very slowly understand like, okay, you know, we can do this one-on-one. We can do this from a distance. We can do this in a private scenario. We can put this uh, in a, in, you know, we can start in women's classes. We have so many different options that will meet you where you are and work from there. Yeah, that is absolutely essential. And I think that what you're speaking to also is a very big difference between the traditional self-defense model that tends to come from law enforcement and military-based men to the way that women tend to work. And it's something for me, I started out very much tightly coupled to the way Tony Blower and his coaches were running their programs. And I realized really quickly that that did not resonate with women and that it wasn't comfortable. And I thought about like, what would I want if I were going to, you know, step up, develop the courage, take the risk to actually go to a workshop or a seminar? What would I want to feel like? And absolutely, I would want to feel safe. Number one, I would want to feel like I could trust people. And actually, I would want to feel valued and in a way loved. 
And so what I started doing was I set up my environment. I mean, I don't have a physical facility, so I don't can't set up the place once. <laughs> but I have to create an environment that is a beautiful, warm, welcoming, loving space. And it looks different. And it's even down to the details of, you know, rather than going to a CrossFit box and having people sitting on the plyo boxes and the weight benches, you know, actually having tables and chairs and beautiful tablecloths and vases of flowers and water and notebooks for people so that the students can come in and they can sit down, they can make a little home for themselves there and they can feel like the whole experience feels good. I love that. Yes, it's a beautiful thing. And, and, and that really resonates with me because we have, we've, you know, you know, social media, we get, we've been made fun of. We have chocolates and we have cold brew and we run the aromatherapy diffusers and our colors rather than being that, that bright red and green and they're gray and white and we have flowers and uh, you know, it really is just a safe space, but I don't think that that's a, it certainly hasn't been a turnoff for men or law enforcement or former military. Cause we have, you know, we have people from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. And so I think everybody wants to feel safe. Who doesn't want to feel nurtured? Absolutely. You know, who doesn't? Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I think that creating that kind of environment opens people up in a different way to the experience, because when you walk into a sort of empty, functional only space and the area where you're supposed to sit and like hear the lectures and discuss and stuff is really not that comfortable. You know, it's kind of a makeshift sort of a space and the focus is all on, okay, let's get up and move. Then what you lose is like the community building and sitting next to somebody and being able to have a conversation and really being able to relax into a discussion as well as getting up and doing the movement. And for me, it like both parts are important. Like the, the movement piece is clearly essential. But because we teach so much of the mental, emotional, and psychological preparation and the mindset, we want to have a comfortable space to sit in community and talk about this stuff. And it, it is, people feel very vulnerable, but if they're comfortable like that, then they're much more willing to share. And then the people in the group are much more willing to engage and support and share their own things. And for me, that's, that's the gold right there. Yes. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm also curious what your sort of path through the martial arts and then into self-defense has been because I mean we already kind of touched on that that they are two different things and that reality based training is very different from what traditionally gets labeled as self defense training so I'm I'm curious on what your particular path was and then your thoughts on the distinction between martial arts and self defense oh are you sure you want to know that yes I'm <laughs> absolutely positive. <laughs> Okay. All right. So, uh, where did I begin? Um, you know, so I grew up with two brothers and wrestling and the whole, well, you know, three, I have three siblings, but my, my, I'm sandwiched right between my older brother and my younger brother who are giants of people. They are very large men. And, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, so 
my my brother did uh you know my, my sister's in judo my brother makes um, martial arts and i've done uh you know, it was silly it was like fitness not that it is silly because it's cardiovascular so it has a great place but you know kickboxing and uh and taibo and with uh, gracie jiu-jitsu in los angeles and you know but never you know you, you it's always it's kind of always sold as like learn self-defense and it's kickboxing it's like no that's not really how i view self-defense so i knew i knew that i wanted something other than weapons other than the gun right because what what do you do when you don't have a gun because i didn't once have a gun and uh it was not good so you know i'm i'm a jewish woman and I had just moved from Florida to Los Angeles, from, from Los Angeles to Florida, and started looking at Krav Maga. Because, you know, Krav Maga is, uh, that's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's synonymous with Judaism and the self-defense of, of the Jewish people in Israel. And so my children, I looked for my children first, and I found a place, it was kind of a mixed martial arts place, uh, but they said that they did teach, they, they taught Krav Maga, and so... My children started and it was like they were young and just getting their feet wet and and uh you know at one point had gone to the owner and said because there was a there was a, a seminar okay this is how i this is how it started there was a seminar that was going to be taught by ron steinberg if you're familiar with him he is very well known in Kramaga, Dennis survival and read about him when i had heard about the seminar and i thought I love personal challenge. I love extreme personal challenge. Uh, I've done the Baton Death March. I'm going to do this. So I went to the owner and I said, so listen, and so I want to train Krav Maga. And he asked me why. And I said, well, I'm a Jewish woman. And he's like, yes. And so reluctantly, I wanted to do private lessons because I, you know, I want to be able to do this particular summer. And that was kind of the very beginning of when all my motives began being questioned of like, why does she want to learn? Well, <laughs> it was the weirdest thing, you know, it was like, is this the Illuminati? Why can I not learn Krav Maga? What's, what's, the <laughs> <laughs> why is it being so closely guarded? So that was when I started training with my now partner and our chief instructor and co-owner Gabriel. And we began training together. And I, my goal was to be just to be competent enough to do this, like it was like a six hour seminar, uh, to, to make it through the six hour seminar without humiliating myself. And so I trained very diligently for this. And I, I took some, even when I was traveling uh, up to New York, I trained up in, in private lessons in New York as well. And, uh, you know, classes and did everything that I could. And I, I did it and I did not humiliate myself. I didn't do as well as I could have. <laughs> I made it through. And so ever since I have been I have been training. And it was something that I realized was not only very relevant to me as a Jewish woman and historically and culturally to my people, but spiritually as, you know, not only does does and this is me and not to take it in a religious way but or religious outlet but god not only says we are 
just in defending and protecting ourselves, but we are obligated to do so. So it was very relevant and practical. And the more I learned, the more it made sense. And the more it made sense, that's when all of that service and how my life in service to people began to kick in and wanting to share it and wondering and asking Gabriel, why do you not teach more women? And his response was, because I was told that doesn't sell. And it broke my heart into a million pieces because survival is not about sales. Yeah. And I thought of all the stories that I had heard and I thought of what I've lived through. And then if I think back, like connecting the dots, like Steve Jobs, amazing speech of connecting the dots back, the things that I've heard and like, why are more people not doing this? Why don't more women know this? Because unlike martial arts, and I hear it all the time, I know Taekwondo, and it's not the same thing. I know kickboxing. I know BJJ. I know Muay Thai. I know Jiu-Jitsu. I know, okay, that's not the same thing. And I love those things. I love all of those things. But attackers don't care what color your belt is. And I don't even know like what I would test at. I mean, I've tested a couple times, but I don't really follow up on it, which is probably going to make people cringe because I don't really like, I don't care. All that I care about is like, I can, if somebody attacks me, I can end it very quickly and efficiently, whether it's uh, empty handed or with a weapon. So how do I feel about martial arts? I love martial arts, but it's an art. Krav Maga is a system. Krav Maga is not absolute like science and is not absolute. It changes. Our world is different today than it was three weeks ago. Our threat levels are different. They are letting what they term nonviolent offenders out of jail. One in particular in New York who served time in New York and Florida recently stabbed his girlfriend to death in a bodega. And when he was caught, said, did I kill her? I hope I killed her. No, geez. Or is she dead? I hope I killed her. Our world is very different now. And I love groundwork and I love, you know, kickboxing and Muay Thai, but it's just not the same. It's very, survival is, survival is different. It requires a different mindset. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think you're hitting on something. This is, this is part of my theme too, which is like, I love all those martial arts. I I wouldn't have trained for 20 plus years in mixed martial arts and doing all of those all of those things, the ground stuff and the stand up and the kickboxing and, you know, all of those things. um, If I hadn't loved doing them, but when I, when I thought back to what would that have helped when I got mugged, you know, the answer was like, no, none of that would have helped. (laughs) You know, I see, you know, that (laughs) I couldn't have crescent kicked that gun out of the guy's hand. You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because like you're connecting the dots looking back yeah. and you're thinking, what happened to me? And is anything that I learned in a training for an art, would that be helpful? Well, if I was an especially skilled, you know, athlete, Colin McGregor, any of these guys, right? Yeah, sure. But I'm not that athlete. <laughs> And even if I'm learning from that athlete, it's not going to make me that athlete. It's, you know, this is not osmosis. Right. That's and, not how it works. And even for them, if they were to get ambushed, 
there's no telling, you know, like their skills would not be the first thing that emerged. And that's been one of the great ahas that I have had through working with Tony Blower was like really starting to understand physiology and how our bodies are actually designed to protect ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and, and being able to trust that in that initial moment, you're not helpless, that your body is well-equipped and that what you need to do is to, to learn how to weather that ambush and then convert to whatever skills you have. Right. That was a yeah. huge aha for me. And I think for a lot of martial artists who eventually start training with um, Coach Blower, that is, that is the big light bulb moment is recognizing that all those great, you know, choreographed, wonderful <laughs> martial arts skills are still very valuable, but not there in the moment because they're intended for something different. Right. Yes. No, you're, you're dead on. And so it's one of the things that, you know, with Shansar Kramaga and, and, you know, my partner, Gabriel, he's, he's, he's known for absolutely brilliant just in terms of the biomechanics and uh, neurobiology and mindset and all of this, where your body knows what to do. And here's why this is going to work, because this is the way we're built. And because he has, well, one, an incredible education in, in you know, exercise science and, you know, physiology and these things, he's, he's able to show people and teach them, you don't have to muscle your way out of this. You don't have to be the biggest person. You can be, he's, he's about, about five, seven, just nearly, just under five, eight. And so it's one of the things that resonates with so many people of he's incredibly well-skilled. He's exceptional and he's not muscling his way out of it. It's not brute strength and that he's able to teach and educate and show you how that's done so that it makes sense. And that again, you can feel women, um, anybody, violent crime survivors, anybody, uh, you know, even he, he works with law enforcement and military, former military as well, you know, that he's able to educate on a level that is, again, loops it all back to science and biomechanics. And you can see you don't have to be just a, a, an exceptionally well-trained athlete or an exceptionally large, strong brute force kind of person to do this. Right. And I love that because when you talk with women about what their big fears are, I I imagine you probably find the same sort of thing. But what I hear over and over and over again is like, I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. Anybody who attacks me is going to be able to overpower me easily. So there's nothing I can do. That's like the biggest fear. And the realization that that is not true because we're not talking about an athletic competition. We're not talking about a powerlifting competition. You know, we're not, it's like weight classes don't matter. No. (laughs) You know, that is the big transformation for many women is to realize, oh, well, just because I happen to be, you know, five foot tall and 95 pounds, that doesn't mean that I'm automatically helpless and there's nothing I can do. Right. So I, yeah. I love what you're talking about right there because I mean that really rings that bell for me. Yes. Yeah. It's a. It was a. It was a great thing. It was a good. And and we. You know. And obviously, you know, the the up training. The up training happens several times a year, and we're a little limited lately as of uh, travel. But you know, you train with people who are 
better than you or who know different things. There's, you know, it, it's, there's not one way. There's not just, you, you draw from all, from so many different things. And again, it's tying that into being, this being, being a system. And we, we know many of people who are, we're trained with many people who are bigger, larger. I mean, I certainly have, I'm five two. But, uh, you know, being able to adapt it and learn ways because you are training with people who are, who are significantly larger or have different skills, and it's, it's all important. So what are some of the most common misconceptions or false beliefs about a personal safety that you encounter? Well, if we take it to the, the very beginning is that you know, maybe the, the self-defense that you learned last year or the, the, the talk that you did last year is, or two years ago is going to help you. It's because it's, again, things that need to be updated. You can always learn more. Two, that because, you know, you might have taken martial arts when you were younger, that you're well-equipped. You know, three, because you have a gun, you're well-protected. No. You know, very few of us will train with that weapon in stress-based scenarios. And, you know, to be, to be efficient with it, it's, that's necessary. There's so many things. There's like, that's, that's kind of a loaded question, right? Because there's thousands. <laughs> there's so many, just so many answers to that. Yeah. Everybody, I think, I think a lot of people or a lot of women in general feel that they're safer than what they, or they're more prepared than they actually are. Yes. I, I hear that all the time. It's like, well, I have pepper spray in my purse or I no, live no. in a gated community <laughs> or, you know, my husband is with me, so he'll take care of any issues. I hear those all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think that one, I mean, you know, uh, that like, well, well, I had a talk from my neighbor whose special forces were, you know, even these guys have up training all the time and just, you know, again, we don't learn via osmosis and just because somebody told you what to look out for, it doesn't mean that you always are. Again, attacks change, things change. And, and just to, just to update what you know is never a bad idea. I kind of look at it like, you know, going to the dentist, which is just because you had your teeth cleaned last year doesn't mean you, <laughs> you don't need to go back. Um, <laughs> just because you learned how to floss doesn't mean you're doing it properly. Education is one of those things where it's, you know, Let's just like take it back to like the gym, right? Weight training. Just because the personal trainer taught you a few years ago how to do a bicep curl, guess what? We're always learning better ways of using our body. So it's different. Things are different. Operations change. You know, there's everything changes and you need to be open-minded in terms of learning how to protect yourself and keep yourself safe. Or your family safe. It's not, you know, nobody's asking. I certainly don't. You know, I'm, nobody's asking you to commit to these memberships where now we're like pushing you through a belt system and you're testing every 30 days or every, you know, every two months. It's, that's not really the way safety is done, but, you know. Well, this, this is a great time for me to ask you to describe your scenario-based training center, because that is something that you have 
that I think is really special. So can you talk a little bit about what that's like and what you do with it? (laughs) Sure. It's a little bit different now because... Uh, we are, we just received orders here in Florida for a stay at home, stay at home orders for all of Florida by the governor. And that's supposed to take effect at midnight, uh, or 1159, I think is the way it was termed and just received a message from our, our dear friend and somebody I look to for guidance and advice and well, a wonderful person, uh, Israel in Israel, uh, our friend Eddie, uh, a sixth degree black belt in dentist survival. And he sent a message and said, well, what you're just, you're Florida just started a quarantine. <laughs> what have you been doing all this time? Um, so it's a little, you know, our operations are a little bit different. Uh, so I'm going to tell you like a little bit about what it is normally. Yes. And then I'll tell you what it kind of looks like now. Okay. So we have three facilities that we operate from. Our corporate headquarters is located about five minutes from Universal Studios in Orlando. And that is when I just described the aromatherapy and the chocolates and it's beautiful and cold brew coffee. That is our corporate headquarters and it's, it's stunning. And we have, uh, we, we teach women's only youth classes, uh, all levels of adults, uh, Krav Maga scenario-based training where we have access to alleys, to vehicles, to stairwells, to elevators, to bathroom stalls. And not only do we train concept-based on the mat or in our wood floor room, but we train in all of those scenarios because you know, you can be very good at concept, repeated concept over and over and over. But then once you take somebody out of that scenario and you move them into an alleyway, you move them into a vehicle, you move them into a stairwell. And there's on our end, kind of an orchestrated test or attack, if you will, how they respond is so significantly different than the way they respond on a mat. So you have to test it, right? It's stress tested and scenario tested. And it's important. And why is it important? Well, it's uncomfortable and it's a little unorthodox and maybe disturbing if you see it because we've had people rush in from all areas of the building, like, what's going on? You know, hearing these screams. And it's, it's unorthodox, but it's really the only way to test what you know. And to know what you're, you know, what, what do you need to work on? So that's our, that's, that's just the, that's just the lighthearted place. Uh, so that's our, that's our, that's our Dr. Phillips. Then we have, you know, uh, we have a satellite school in Winter Park, which is kind of center, you know, they're, they're all triangled uh, Winter Park. And that's uh, in a community center, which is on a bus line. And it is a very good place that, you know, work. A lot of our nonprofit work takes place there where we can have survivors who feel like, okay, I don't want to go into like a dojo, right? But I'll go to a community center that's just like down the street from one of the most lovely farmer's markets on the weekend and it's safe and it's airy and their children can play while they're training or their children can take a class while they're playing. 
and it's a it's a community center. It's open, but we still have those outdoor areas. We still have those parking lots. We still have those stalls. You know, we have access to that. You know, it's more comfortable, and we work up to those things. But you know, it's it's not matted. So now, what is training like when you don't have the comfort of the mat? Right? What's rolling like then? You know, what's it like to have to do groundwork when it's not in a place that's comfortable? So you know, that's the that's the second one. And then our third, which is our kind of our base of operations at the moment, it's our live workspace, which is a uh, mixed use agriculture property. We have acreage that's just outside of uh, its private location. You know, we do have, we don't even release the address because uh, we have survivors. We have some people who are under, you know, they have their own orders of protection for stalkers, for, you know, situations that they've been involved in and we don't want to obviously compromise anything for them but we have a training house and uh there we are able to teach more weapons work with uh we have a variety of people who can teach of some former military as well uh who will talk about concealed carry about cold weapons about live weapons things uh like home invasions. We have a dedicated training vehicle for uh, abductions, for attacks for university students in vehicles or, you know, women in particular. Uh, so it's uh, the, you know, the training house, there's an indoor outdoor gym. The, the facilities are, a little, they're approachable, but it's a little bit more raw. And, uh, you know, it's again, not open to the public. It is private, but it's, very, very scenario based. You know, now we go from like groundwork on mats, right, to the Berber carpet of the of the Berber carpet of uh, of the the community center to being outdoors, where we have asphalt, we have concrete, we have mats here too, because you know we have a training house, but we have the mock up for you know ready to go for uh, you know rock salt and that kind of thing. And we we want to make sure that we're offering something that is incredibly practical and is not just like, Hey, you know, learn a little bit here and then take it to, you know, just, just keep practicing um, and, and take it to, you know, this is, this should theoretically work, right? We want to know that it works. We want right. to know that you can use this. <laughs> and if you can't, we're going to find out. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, these are all, they all have purpose. They've all been created with intention and they're a little bit different now because obviously we're operating with our hybrid digital program primarily, uh, well, only online actually at the moment, but we do have when everybody's allowed to meet in a one-on-one fashion, when we're allowed to actually have members, students come onto the property, then everything that they've been learning online will actually be done here in a one-on-one, a one-on-one basis in the, uh, at the training house and in our indoor-outdoor facility. Uh, I just I love what you have described. And I, I'm a little bit envious. I dream of being able to have something like your training house and the environment where you can do all of those scenarios all in one place. Because for me, you know, since I teach all over the place, because I don't have a, a facility, 
it's always really difficult trying to figure out what in the environment where that particular workshop or seminar is going to be held can actually be used for doing yeah. some scenarios. And we've even, I'll, I'll tell you, you were saying you've had people come running because there were people screaming and stuff. We actually, yes. <laughs> we were doing a scenario on the sidewalk outside of a CrossFit box. And we actually had police cars drive right past us as there were women, you know, being attacked in these scenarios and and fighting off the the role players and like not a twitch from any of them. And we only wow. had one person who was walking by stop and say something along the lines of, like, this is a class, right? <laughs> yes. But it's otherwise, a, I mean, people just ignored it. <laughs> it was amazing. That's but wild. Yeah, yeah. But one thing that came to mind when you were describing why it's so different going from training on a mat in a nice, comfy sort of school environment out into a different environment, whether that's on the stairs or in an alleyway or something like that, is what came to mind for me is Tony Blower talks about going from being the training in an on balance state, which is what you do when you're in a nice comfy school and you're on the comfy mat and you you can be well balanced. There's nothing at all to interfere with your physical balance, but also with your mental and emotional state. And yeah. then when you go out into one of those other scenarios, you quite literally become off balance physically, mm-hmm. mentally, emotionally. And when you learn how to go from that off balance state to get to a place where you feel like you are organized again and able to function, that is a huge step. And it's a great discovery that you can go, you know, from being in that state of a little panicky, a little uncomfortable, you know, literally tripping over things because there's trash cans in the alley or because you're partway down a staircase or something to actually realize that you you can still function. And in fact, you can actually use some of those environmental things to your benefit. Sure. I love that you know, doing that kind of scenario-based training allows you to try that because otherwise, you know, we we do all of these these drills and things, and then don't ever think about, well, what if you're by the side of the road? Or what if what you're getting pushed against is a car and you're getting, you know, bent back over the car, but you can't go forwards because there's a highway right next to you, you know, and doing these scenarios is what allows your brain to start going, oh, okay. And I get it. I'm starting to create blueprints for different environments. And so I'm not going to draw a blank if I'm ever in one of those scenarios. Because it's not nice, flat, cushy mat, you know, where I... Oh, absolutely. I mean, the shock of it, the shock of it for any gender, not just women, is really, is, is always interesting to see because, you know, you can take somebody who's been at it for years or who's come to us and, you know, I've been training for six years at this place and it's like, yeah, it's, you know, wonderful. And then they, they join and they, you know, they, they start with us, the introductory, and then they, they come on and then they do their very first scenario test. And it's like, wow, I had no idea. And they didn't necessarily do well because they relied too much on what that choreography was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think you and I have talked about it a little bit about 
like, well, you know, martial arts, you have the arts where there's somebody who wants to help you improve and, you know, somebody wants to help you improve and your opponent, your training partner isn't there to hurt you. And then you've got, you know, reality based, which is like, there's a different level of aggression and uh, everybody wants to win their scenario based, which is just, it's, there's no rules. There's, you know, you, you, you survive, you know, you show us what you know. Yeah. And, and then we'll, we'll help you. We'll help you uh, figure out what you, what you need to do and where to go from there. And thankfully we love, we do love that after uh, even it's, it feels like it's just a short amount of time, you know, people, the diligent training of it, the change is amazing, really remarkable and empowering. Yes. What I like about it and, and what I love, and I'm sure you do too, is that the confidence that comes from this kind of training is legit confidence. It's not based on stuff that's untested. I think, um, you know, you really described it well that it's not theoretical anymore. It's, it's actual. And I think that there's a big difference between sort of false confidence that comes from you know, oh, well, you know, I, I heard a talk or I carry my pepper spray and I, you know, I did one training session with it to like, wow, I, I did these scenarios. I was in these really uncomfortable, awkward situations and I actually navigated out of it and got to safety. Right. That's true confidence. Yeah, it really is. And it's a, it's a good thing. It's a productive thing to be able to, to teach people and to help facilitate, you know, uh, again, just my partner, Gabriel Mora, is absolutely, he's an exceptional human being. And I would never have expected somebody who knows the kinds of things that he knows to have such a good heart. And so he's really just a good person, just such, such a decent human being. And that, that he, you know, was all on board to, to start the nonprofit. And yeah, absolutely, let's do this and get out there and begin to reach as many people who need it and to help my thought is preventing trauma is preventing you know teaching to teaching to young people so that they don't ever have to go through these things yeah yeah that's exactly my thinking as well especially in the area of recognizing warning signs in relationships because when you work with so many women who are in intimate partner violent situations and and you realize like we don't actually teach young people what a healthy love relationship looks like and um, they don't know what the signs are and they end up just thinking well you know i'm in this relationship it this must be what love is and uh, you know it's another element of like if we can teach these things to people when they're young it's far better to avoid being <laughs> in the situation than trying to heal from it. So I'm right there with you, all in on that. Absolutely. No, dating dating violence is real and it's it's so far reaching. You know, you you hear a lot of young women, uh, you see it on social media of the you know the jealousy and well he's, he doesn't want me to be with you know they don't they don't see the signs if he doesn't want you to be with your friends or he doesn't He's, he's not okay with what you're wearing or he tells you to change. Wow. Some of the things that, that they've seen and heard and 
you know, even again, lived through in, in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, just, it's, there, there just needs to be more dialogue on it. And, and certainly making room for, you know, encouraging mothers of, of young girls to say, you know, if you can, if you can plan a sleepover or like a spa day party, you can certainly plan time for your, your daughter, her friends to, to come do scenario based training with, with people because it's, it's important. It's a, it's a life skill and, you know, forget about just like selling classes or memberships. It's just like, it's, it's one of those things you, you need to know. Yeah. It's something that, that we should all learn as we're growing up. Cause it really is basic life survival skill. Right. Well, I could talk with you all day, but I suppose we should start to wrap up. So I have two questions for you and then we will, we will wrap it up for this session. So what are the must-know concepts or strategies and tools that you think women need to have in order to not just feel, but actually be safe? Well, I think situational awareness is the no-brainer, right? It goes a long way. So definitely situational awareness. Um, the other thing is having a practical, a practical skill set for you know, both striking, which I think is certainly undervalued. I know at one time I definitely undervalued that. But the uh, weapons where if you, if you have a gun, knowing how to use it more than just your, you know, go to a range once a month, uh, go to a range a couple times a year with my husband, being able to actually stress test those things. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. It's like tuning up a car, you know, maybe nobody necessarily wants to do it. It's a lot of fun. I think people don't, especially women, we don't, we, you don't realize like really truly how much fun it can be. Yeah, absolutely. But it's the same thing as training on the mat, you know, taking your firearm to a range where you can get nice in your stance and comfortable and you can adjust the distance to the target and all that kind of thing is completely different from actually doing scenarios with it. Really? Yes, it is. Yes. Oh, mom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my uh, my husband's family actually owns a range up here in Placerville and they have a Milo screen. And so it's a self-healing screen and they can actually project scenarios on it. So you can do, fantastic. yeah, you can do a scenario right there on, on the Milo screen. So that's amazing. I really need to see that. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. I got to come visit you and you got to come visit me once all this uh, isolating stuff is over. Definitely. <laughs> and so, yeah, so my family and, uh, you know, they're in, in terms of like scenario based in, uh, out in New Mexico where it's like, it truly is the wild west and what we have access to. It is literally going out into these open spaces. There's nothing out there. There's absolutely nothing out there. And I think, you know, the FFDOs actually do train out there as well, uh, different different spots. But, you know, with my family, you're going out and training with, with them. It's That's where everything gets real. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, there's, 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 nothing but, there's nothing but you out there. So being having the opportunity to do those things is, and I'm very blessed in many ways. Yeah what we have access to, sure. So how do you think that women can develop their own personal power and courage? Well, you know, it's a, it's a hard, that's a hard answer because it's a, it's a hard thing to do. 
really honoring what your gut tells you to do. You know, you, we, we have these instincts, right? We, we tell our children about them all the time, that uh-oh feeling. And for women, what that means is that, that uh-oh feeling that you get, you know, when you're in a situation which unfortunately is most frequently attacks for women come from somebody that we know that we know very well. And so being able to take yourself out of that situation by honoring what your gut says, you know, uh, your gut says mm, there's something wrong there. Like I don't feel well about that. You know, maybe something that he said or those red flags and knowing that you're going to, you know, just, just honoring that and doing whatever it takes to get out of that situation and that relationship early, separate, whatever it is that needs to be done to make you safe. Because, you know, we don't think about it a lot, but the statement of like, well, I've never hit you escalates to other things or, you know, the, the, the red flag they they everything evolves and when we see those signs being able to trust our gut and maybe do what takes you out of your your comfort zone but is going to be in the long run so healthy and so helpful maybe not in the short term it won't be easy but you know we'll make eventually their lives better and their children's lives better and i think we you know as women we're nurturers right and so we want to, we want to fix things that we want to, you know, we want to believe so strongly that things are going to get better. And if I just, and if I can do this, and that's why, that's why we have these statistics that are so high because we're fixers and we're nurturers and rather than doing what we, our gut says, you know, this is not a good place to be, you know, wanting, wanting to, wanting to fix and heal versus wanting to be preemptive and proactive and leave something that's comfortable. Yes, I I totally I feel that like with every fiber. <laughs> that really rings very very true for me and and it really like the the piece that goes along with that is giving yourself permission to take action when you have that feeling. Yeah. And that's very hard to do because we're really super, super good at rationalizing away those feelings and being worried about what other people might think or, you know, coming up with all kinds of potential consequences. But um, giving ourselves permission to really make ourselves and our health and safety a priority is, is the piece that goes along with, with what you said. So I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, I say it, I think, so frequently in class and just when we teach. And it's like, especially to new members or new, new students that are coming through about you here, you don't need to apologize. And here, we prioritize protecting ourselves over being polite. Yes. <laughs> well, my gosh, Renee Rose, this has been such an extraordinary conversation. I am so glad that we were able to spend the time together. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I always love speaking with you. Likewise. Well, I think we're going to have a lot of conversations in the future. So this is really just the first recorded one of probably several. So (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, thank you so much. Before we wrap it up, can you share how people can reach out to you? Because I'm sure there are going to be people who want to contact you after they hear this. Sure. So we make it super easy. Um, we make it super easy. So, and and one of the first ways uh, people always say, is, you do, is she really your number? But yes, so technology is a beautiful thing. And you can easily send text messages. The number is one four zero seven seven three zero one five two three. You can find us online with shansar.com, which is Sierra Hotel Alpha Alpha November, Sierra Alpha Alpha Romeo.com. Or on Facebook, we are Shansar Kramaga on Facebook. And uh, on Instagram, Shansar Kramaga. We're, we're all over the place. We're not hard to find, but uh, text messaging is usually the, usually the easiest way. We are also on WhatsApp with the same number. Uh, not hard to find at all. Well, that's great. And I will include all of those links in the show notes. So people, if they didn't write them down, can, can get them from there. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Renee. And until next time, this has been the Born to Be a Badass podcast. Stay safe and be a badass. You've been listening to the Born to Be a Badass podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and be sure to share it with your friends. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and a review. Tune in regularly for more exciting insights and wisdom on women, violence, and safety. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.